You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Forty years are old. This is Emeritus Rex with Rabbi Ruvain Yeshua Pukko of Beth Israel Bethelen. That was a little bit of Sylvester there. A Beth Israel Bethelen <laughs> from Cote St. Luke, <coughs> oh, Canada. Canada, yes. I, you've had your Thanksgiving already, right, Rabbi Pukko? You're, you're not, we're here the day before Thanksgiving. Ca- Canada had it first, right? When did you have it? October? Yeah, that, uh, Canada has a holiday called Thanksgiving and uh, observed in October. But uh, mm-hmm. as an expatriate living here in foreign soil, uh, the American Thanksgiving still has a very strong hold on me. Uh-huh. And and even maybe some of the other Canadian uh, slash former Americans who are there. Okay. There were many years in Montreal. It doesn't happen anymore for a variety of reasons. COVID certainly killed it. When the when m- many of the Americans in my neighborhood would get together and do a big Thanksgiving dinner uh-huh. together, you know, all Orthodox Jews, all children of America who would get together and we would have turkey together on Thanksgiving. And uh, it was a lot of fun. And we would, uh, you so, know, recall with nostalgia our days on American soil when we could breathe the air of freedom. Uh, and uh, unlike there where you had to... Uh, where we live under the jackboot of Canadian, uh, you know, uh, dictatorship. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure they've got the uh, mics. <laughs> they have the mics in all the living rooms saying, you have to say the grace in French, por favor. <laughs> Poor so we would, uh, we would we would uh, gather. We would. Uh, uh, I think we even sang the national anthem before we sat down, and we would have a lot of fun. I don't know. We should do it some more. But I, you know, everyone's gotten a little. I don't know what happened. Yes, but, uh, we used to do it a lot. And of course, you know, we'll talk about it perhaps in greater length. But we know that uh, Israel is, of course, full of uh, ex Americans who, I guess, also. Even though it's a total normal work day and they're rushing and just thinking about Shabbos, I'm sure the idea of Thanksgiving is, uh, is somewhat solid in their heads. They love Thanksgiving. American Jews love Thanksgiving. It's the uh, one non-Jewish thing we could do without guilt. Yeah, yeah. And again, I think we've already you know discussed its place that I think um, hampers most of our family get-togethers or reaching out to old friends, especially if there is a a gap in religiosity between one part of the family and the other. They feel ill at ease. They feel ill at ease inviting someone to come for a Pesach Seder when you know they're going to leave at 12 o'clock no matter what and drive back home. <laughs> and you have to wonder, hmm, what sort of wine can we have that isn't going to be a problem if they touch it? Do we have to get yayin that's mavushal? Even the idea, even if the person uh, is perfect in terms of that, there's always a sense that the person who shows up feels that they are on the receiving end of their religious relative. And they sort of have to just be in a mode where they can just perhaps offer maybe an intellectual comment has something to do with it. But of course, their, their learning skills and their familiarity with, with everything puts them at a disadvantage. And there are many relatives who just don't want, and many people who don't want to be in a social situation where they, by definition, are somewhat relegated to just, as we say in Hebrew, to be macabre. What Thanksgiving does, whether, without getting to the issue is, is it chukas agoyim, does it have a religious significance, is eating turkey uh, somewhat sort of a, a problem and that you have to skip a year, 
let's that has been done uh ad you know uh, i don't know what the term is ad absurd that thanksgiving is such a great chance nope you're not working there's not a problem of 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 a specific mitzvah and we have to worry about let's just be people together um let's just talk whether the television is on and the and the detroit lions are you know once again you know breaking the hearts of their fans or not that's really not the point the point is is that my estranged cousin my brother who isn't as religious as me my mom and dad we can just sit here without any pressure whatsoever and i think that that's an incredible gift to have especially in, in today's society where you know let me check my calendar what am i doing today uh, i i can fit you in in a 20 minute window this allows for a leisurely really uh, a, a, a connection which can actually grow plant the seeds to grow something positive or to uproot some of those negative uh, parts that have that have clustered around relationships and that's why I, I, I to me that is the ultimate bracha of thanksgiving well, Rabbi, what do you think? No, I, I think what you're saying is, is, is very insightful in that we need more of that. We need more spaces where people don't feel they're being talked down to or patronized, where people aren't made to feel stupid or heretical, and where people are, you know, and it, it's, uh, you know, we should maybe, uh, you know, use it as a paradigm for uh, other activities during the year. In other words, it's nice to have family together where no one feels like a second-class citizen and no one needs to uh, compromise one way or the other to accommodate anybody else. Thanksgiving is safe. It's neutral. It's the Switzerland of holidays. It's neutral and everybody can be there. You know, you can be comfortable. It's uh, it's family together. I mean, more people go home for Thanksgiving than go home for Christmas in America, from what I understand. It's, uh, it's, it's the quintessential American holiday, more than July 4th. So, you know, in Canada, I know, I remember um, one of my favorite programs, which somebody, by the way, commented and said, you know, you and Rabbi Pupko, you're, you're talking about shows all the time. I'm not exactly sure. <laughs> I can't believe the rabbi was so up to on the curb your enthusiasm. <laughs> by the way, by the way, uh, before I get to my television reference, I, based on what uh, an idea you said last week, I decided to watch the uh, marvelous Miss Maisel Yom Kippur episode. Oh yeah, <laughs> I, I I don't believe there. Again, it's all a fantasy. I don't think there. I don't think that anything ever looked like that. But I was very. I was. I was very happy to see. You know the the mutual alchet, the two rabbis, each one <laughs> each, each one chanting a different one of the alchets, and. And especially the Skila Sreifa, Herrig, and Chenek. Everybody in unison for what we have. Right? Um, and and the, uh, it, it was so telling to me. The real grain of truth was that the only person who was really davening in Shul with any kavana was the Giyoyrus. Right? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he was the only one who was taking it, taking it serious. The only one who fasts on Tishabov. And the only one. Again, it's... but. It, I, I I couldn't take a, a offense at that part of the program. There's a lot of other stuff, but I think they have a, a, it's a loving uh, presentation of Judaism in some ways. Um, a, a conservative, reform Judaism that doesn't exist anymore. 
but uh, but it was it, it's definitely an interesting thing to see uh, and it, that it's out there on, in such a prominent way. But anyway, the film, the movie, the television show that I was going to talk about was, I think Canada's greatest import, SCTV, um, which which had uh, a cast of characters that each one of them you know was a superstar: John Candy, Eugene Levy. Uh, Dave Thomas and Rick Moranis, not a superstar, but uh, Catherine O'Hara, Andrea Martin, uh, Martin Short, uh, they were a, a, a team of, of actors and comedians and mimics. And they did a program that was on at the same time as Saturday Night Live, but blew it out of the water. It was, it was incredible. NBC ended up picking it up and sort of bastardizing it a little bit. But it really is, if you can see any of those programs, <laughs> You, you, you see youth and energy and a lot of great Jewish characters as well. Uh, I think now they did a series where the Canadians, they were making fun of all the Canadian content and commercials Canada was doing. You know, Canada, Canada, Canada had a tremendous inferiority complex and they, so were, they were very upset. They, they limited at one time the amount of American broadcasting that could happen in the, in the country. Like there was only a certain amount of hours of American stuff because they wanted to make sure that, that, that the Canadian uh, spirit was, wasn't extinguished and taken over by American propaganda. So they had all of these faux commercials where Canada had it first. Canada had it first. And I remember, I remember John Candy saying, we have Thanksgiving, so we have Thanksgiving first. <laughs> but, but tell me, is, is other than you know, Canada will take any excuse to close uh, national offices and, and government offices. Does is there anything like that in Canada on October third, whatever it is? Do they, the, do they the Thanksgiving spirit here is you can't compare it to the U.S. It's it, it's barely recognized. Yeah, it's a day off. You know, they pretend to have recipes in the newspaper, but it's nothing. It, 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 remember something. Canadians are not known for their flamboyant patriotism. There's no great story in Canada. There's no revolution. There's no battle for independence. They negotiated in a back room in some time in the 19th century. I mean, it was, it's ridiculous. I mean, it's uh, it, there's no good. It, who are the heroes of Canada? Yeah. Sure. I, I mean, <laughs> I mean there's, there's no story here. America, we got a story. I mean, you could you could be cynical about it, but we got a story. We got George Washington. We got Paul Revere. I mean, you know, we got real good stories. There's no story in Canada. Well, right, but again, what about what I was talking about, Rabbi? The idea that okay, we have a day off. Let's get together. Do the Jew, for example, the Jews, other than not the expatriates, do the native Canadians get together on Canadian Thanksgiving and hang out together and take the day off and do the type of things like go play football in the backyard and yeah, some of them pretend to sure. But again, I can't, you can't compare the, I mean, Thanksgiving has a hold on the heart and soul of America. Thanksgiving Canada is not in, in no way comparable. So what day do Canadians buy? No day. They don't. There's nothing here. <laughs> no, that's not, I'm not being funny. The, uh, July 1st is a big day. That's the, our, our Independence Day. Uh, Canada for Canada Day, we call it Canada Day. Uh, Canadians like being Canadian, but too often they define their greatness only by how it's different than America. In other words, we have socialized medicine, right? We have whatever. You know, we're, we're America without Americans' problems, without Americans' problems. Mm-hmm. You know, 
I mean, listen, Canadians, too many Canadians still think of America as a racist country, as a bunch of gun-toting lunatics. But, a, uh, I think there's more guns in Canada than there are per person. Yeah, yeah but we tend, to aim them, we tend to aim them at squirrels. Right, but, but I think that is true, that, in, that the, I mean, the small, listen, the, the small, Canadian, population, the small uh, Canadian population, but per, per person... There's more gun owners in Canada than there is. That could be, but again, it's, you don't have the culture that America has of, you know, carry licenses. You don't see any of that. To get a license to carry a gun in Quebec, you have to. I mean, it's it's rigorous. You know, a lot of given a lockbox. I mean, it's really very uh, strict gun control. Although there is an uptick in gun violence in Montreal and Toronto and in, in Winnipeg, but it's nothing comparable to what you know the crime rate. That existed in the states thirty years ago, or that's starting to happen again in the states. Nothing like that, no. But uh, yeah. but again, anyway. Well, let's move to Israel for a second. Then the, the, your, right. your your second favorite country or your first favorite country. I mean, I, again, you can you. I mean, you you can. You know, I know Rabbi Pupko. You have America, Israel, Canada. In in in, in Israel. What the phenomenon I was talking about, and Israel needs it more than we do, probably. The idea of having a, a safe, neutral place where we can just hang out and relatives can come together. And Israel is so polarized that I don't think there's you, uh, Yom Atzmud definitely doesn't do it, right? Yom Atzmud, in fact, well, I, I would say for a broad swath of the country, Yom Atzmud is it. Uh-huh. I mean, besides the pocket of Haredi resistance, you know, it's, it's overwhelmingly. It's it's not a pocket. I mean, when you talk about 15, 20% of the population. And okay, but again, when I say pocket, I mean they're, they're, they're geographically, just, you know, uh, and not just lifestyle, but geographically also generally live in distinct areas. So I, I've been in Israel many times, Yom Asmut. You feel it in the entire country. I mean, Yom Azikaron and Yom Asmut is, 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 again, dominates the, uh, the, but, you know, but is it a time that, that, that there is no dogma? It's just about hanging together and feeling connected. No, no, that's true. Yeah, yeah. It's not neutral in sense. There is a political overtone. Right. So Israel really doesn't have that. Israel- let, me, let me tell you a story. You remind me of a story. I was once in Beersheva on Yom Azikaron. It's a true story. So I'm, I'm sitting on the street and the, and the siren goes off. And everybody stops. Right? Whether you're on the highways, wherever you are in Israel, everything comes to a dead standstill. And a moment of silence in Israel is much longer in a moment of silence in the U.S. It's a real, it's a sustained period. And everyone's standing, uh, you know, thinking about the losses that have uh, that, that, that Israel's had to make uh, in order to, uh, to defend itself. And I, I remember I was, he, I've never, I don't know if you ever happened upon a scene of a policeman arresting somebody, but I, I was on the street, this policeman just arrested somebody and they were crossing the street to the police car and the policeman and the guy in the handcuffs were, and the siren goes off. The cop and the guy in handcuffs is in, uh, is in the middle of the street when the siren goes off. The cop immediately lets go of the prisoner. The prisoner immediately stops. The cop stops. They both stand at attention. And then he t- takes them again at the end and puts them in the car. And that was it. I mean, it was like... It's like a Bugs Bunny cartoon. It's like, it's like, like, it was unbelievable. <laughs> I've never seen anything like it. And, and you know, I don't know, you know, so in that sense, again, with a few exceptions... Israel on Yom Azikaron and Yom and, and Yom Asmod are very unified, but you're right. It's, it's a political. There are political overtones, not so much to Yom Azikaron, but certainly Yom Asmod. But uh, Thanksgiving is completely neutral for Americans, unless you talk about the weirdo wackos on the left with the woke and how the indigenous were whatever, and and Thanksgiving is a racist holiday. But other than that, you know, it's, it's a, you know that's a small well, number. Okay, well, 
let's deal with the uncomfortable just for a minute. You know, you know, if we go back, you know, obviously Squanto uh, was the great noble savage who decided, hey, we're going to help these white-skinned people. And, and, and I'm not going to throw shade or any shade there, but we know as Orthodox Jews and semi-scholarly people that a lot of the ideology of those original pilgrims would sound very, very um, harsh to us and probably... Um, anti who we are as, as Jews, right? They were, many of them, uh, you know, really saw themselves as the new Israel. They probably viewed Jews right. as, as, as demons and devils. Um, yeah, but on the other hand, part of the narrative and the true narrative is that they came for religious freedom. And because of that, what evolved in America is a place of, again, at that time, unparalleled religious freedom that also benefited Jews greatly. So yes, there was that. I would call it more than a kernel of thought in the term times of the in times of the pilgrims coming here. It was about religious freedom. So even though obviously they harbored ideas which would be an anathema to us, they certainly also harbored ideas which led to being you know, having America being a very fertile ground for the growth of Jewish life. Okay. Uh, I'm not, I don't want to push back hard on this, but it's really not so much harboring an idea driven <laughs> by their desire to practice unencumbered. Right. But it's not that they necessarily thought and said, man is free to worship God as he pleases. They were a persecuted minority in England. And therefore, but again, you look at the earliest writings of the pilgrims where they said that everybody should be, I mean, again, this is obviously later, but George Washington's first letter, you know, to the Jews in, in, at Toro Synagogue in, in Rhode Island, you know, there even then, even over, you know, over uh, 250 years ago, there was this idea that in America, conscience and religion and faith was a private matter. And that's huge. Listen, like I said, I'm not pushing back hard. All I'm saying is, is that I, I think what what stops, and again, I'm ha I'm happy that Thanksgiving doesn't have the trappings of uh, let's go, let's all dress like uh, the pilgrims. I'm happy that that has been sort of like jettisoned, and it's really not done anymore. Uh, what I'm saying is, is that what allows Thanksgiving to have that those universal wings is the fact that we sort of don't um, harp on the original, uh, that original, those original events. It is, it, it, for every squanto, there's also, and, and again, you, you have to admit that there were terrible massacres that occurred and a, a sense as being pilgrims that they had come there into Israel and there was an idea. And again, I, I don't have the theology here in front of me, but I do know that they took what we would consider some of the worst parts of the misinterpretation of our Torah, which is we have something. You know, what you call misinterpretation could be considered, you know, yeah, listen, when the eagle was chosen as the symbol of America, it was between that and, and a picture turkey. of Moses, Moses crossing the, the, the sea <laughs> with his staff. But that was the debate. I mean, they, they really were informed and inspired to a very large degree by the Jewish narrative of exodus, of, of struggle for freedom. And that ends, the result of that is a, a degree of uh, affection for Jews that is un, still today unparalleled in the story of our exiles. I'm not telling you that every 
non-Jew in America loves Jews. It's not the case. But there was a degree of welcome to Jews and a opportunities for Jews over a sustained period of time that we haven't had any other time in history. Uh, And I don't think you could disconnect that from the ideas. I think that's informed by the ideas of America. From right. very but, 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 but again, we were definitely the beneficiaries of the same struggles that they went through. And we were able to cross the Atlantic and find and, and found communities that thrived and intervolved. But the idea that manifest destiny, the idea that this is the land that God chose for us, the fact that, and therefore, the way we treat the indigenous persons in this land has a parallel to what the Jews did when they came into Israel. I think that was in their mind. And and, and maybe maybe they didn't need the Bible. Maybe just the fact, histories of claiming, I claim this for Isabella, I claim this. There's always been an idea that we can can venture out and the the more advanced culture can claim. That's not in any way unique to the American story. That's the story of Australia. That's the story of, of South of America, America. Of, the, of the Brits of South everywhere. I mean, that, True. that was the story. White Christians believe they had a superior lifestyle that they would, be, in their beneficence, bestow upon the indigenous, whether they liked it or not. And if they didn't like it, they'd be dead. We know that. So that is a part of the story that I think it is that, especially if I would be a descendant from those peoples, it would be a little bit difficult for me to chew into my turkey if that's what I was thinking. However, if we could, and, and this goes, this gets into America's slave history as well. If there's a way that we can somehow recognizing the 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 misdeeds, the 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 mindset that we have grown out of, and not dwell in it, and just zero in on the positives without necessarily saying that I can't think of anything positive because I've got this thing in my craw about how this country started, uh, some of the inequities of how this country started. I think that has been the, the, the trouble that we've been having in, this, in, in the United States, especially. Um, Listen, you went to elementary school the same decade I did. And, we, and when you studied American history in elementary school, even in elementary school, the idea that America had enslaved its blacks was not a secret. It was not a secret that Indians were massacred. It was not a secret way before AOC was ever born. We were being taught this back in the 60s. I'm, I'm not sure where this idea comes from that America concealed its crimes. In the basic textbooks of American history that every grade school kid ever studied from, it's clearly there, whether it's there as much, whether the, all this, the whole story is told, but it was not it was not a it was not a secret. Yeah, again, with when it comes to education, again, I'm playing a little bit devil's advocate here because, you know, obviously, I would say most of my knowledge didn't come from any of the textbooks that I had to study. Right. <laughs> it probably came from the television shows and other books I read on my own. But I just playing a little devil's advocate. I think that it's one thing, you know, if you have a paragraph or two or a chapter. It's another thing about when you have the school pageant. It's about when you play cowboys and Indians. You know, there's there's much more to the to the to the atmosphere than what officially uh, our Miss Brooks taught uh, in the one room schoolroom, and that I, I think there is a. Point. Okay, but also you have to admit, even in American culture, 
whether the the, cow, the the old westerns, the cowboy movies. I don't believe in the, in the indigenous population of America was portrayed in a negative way. I mean, there were always these heroic figures. There were always, I mean, they, they weren't portrayed as cannibals and barbarians who needed to be educated. They weren't. They were, they were, they, they were portrayed as dignified people with their own culture, with their own ideas. And I, I, I don't recall. Uh, you know, how about Chief Howakawi from F Troop? Don't you remember him? I mean, there were some comic, you know, there were parodies. <laughs> but generally speaking, the movies, they weren't portrayed as okay, Listen, Rabbi, you know, in, in many ways, you are so much my um, superior as a pedagogue, as, as a <laughs> But in, in this area, you are really waiting <laughs> to the... I mean, you're in the wrong place here now. I mean, look, you're right. There were a number of, 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 of Westerns that tried to rectify Broken Arrow, for example, when Jimmy Stewart... Um, marries uh, uh, an Apache girl in an Apache wedding ceremony. Uh, that was considered an incredible moment. Of course, uh, Cochise, who is the hero in, in sense, who's trying to fight and make peace with the white man, played by Yoel Broler, Jeffrey Chandler. <laughs> Jeffrey Chandler from Brooklyn. He played. He plays uh, Cochise. Um, that was one of the films that you know that 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 was considered a little turn. John Ford at the end of, you know, his towards the middle part of his career, but a lot of parts of his career, Stagecoast and other parts, even in the, the most, the greatest Western film in many people's eyes, The Searchers, there is, uh, there is the contrast between the Comanche, uh, uh, terrible, uh, right. terrible brutal oh. Comanche and the others. Um, there, there's a, a, a 15 minute interlude in the middle uh, where you know there's just a, a bunch of fun made of this fat uh, uh, squaw from uh, from the, uh, uh, that culture. Look, it, it's not pretty. You're right. Hollywood did try a little bit, but it was mostly the other way. Mostly, what people they named our baseball teams that get Cleveland Indy. I mean, what yeah. greater tribute is there? Look, let's again. There's no reason. The to... Braves do the tomahawk chop in tribute to the indigenous culture. And I think they won the. Uh, they, they they won the world. They won the world series. And there was there was tomahawk chop. How does it go? Ooh, how does it go? I don't remember how it. Okay, you know, you, you, look, you want me to sing? That's what you want. I want you to sing. Something like that. Uh, but look, when you think about it, look, Columbus thought he was he was going to India. So all of a sudden, you know, again, the, the people that he met were, of course, Indians, right? And therefore, it was based. Yeah. Look, I, I could see that there is this uh, a sense of unease. What I'm saying is, is that we, if we keep on looking back, whether it's Hollywood's history or uh, the, the actual letters and, and things that are from uh, of that period, we are going to be mired in, 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 in small mindedness and hatred. What we've got to look is forward. And I think if Thanksgiving allows people to see people as people, and first of all, I, I think, you know, it starts at home. Part of the reason I, I think people um, enjoy, you know, squabbling in the public square is because there's there, there's an unease within them. I think people who have, and again, if you have shalom bias, as we say in the rabbinic world, within your own family and with your own kids, you are much a, a easier person 
to be at that um, rancorous uh, board meeting, right? But if you're a person that brings to that board meeting, you know, the issues at home that you want to punch a wall in. So this gives you a chance to sort of like let that out. So, so I think if Thanksgiving can help in Shalom bias within the family unit for the people that will be invited, I think it, it therefore will, will sweeten or at least uh, soften the public debates that are going to happen. And, 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 and I think people will stop, you know, going back to, because there's no way we can whitewash things. The same way you can't win an argument with me about Hollywood's embraceive history of, of, of the Indians, we can never really win if we're gonna talk about, you know, the positive things. Certain, certain, let's go back to Thanksgiving, Marshall. When you invite your, your brother who, uh, you know, who was thrown out by his first wife uh, for the affair that he was having with his secretary, and now he's there at your Thanksgiving table, you know, you're not going to start it off with, okay, um, how's you, what type of secretaries you having <laughs> these days, right? <laughs> right? You're not going to do that. And I think we have to learn from that same sort of family etiquette that let's just leave these things alone. Uh, and, and, and I agree with you, the woke culture won't let us. The woke culture, you know, again, who was it from the sixteen, the sixteen oh nine project, the sixteen nineteen project? You know, they they keep on planting this flag and, and and waving it in our faces to the point that we can't really have, and I think we're both in agreement, normal power of and constructive power of conversations first, and then constructive ones about. Uh, where you know, we I, I don't know where this. I don't know if it's Christian. I don't get it. This impulse to wallow in guilt, you know, into 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 firmly embrace the idea that we are nothing but who we were at our worst moments, and 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 how they think that's a good idea. I mean, I I don't I don't understand the instinct to want to tear yourself out. Okay, so I, I have an answer to that. And I've, I've been wondering too, why, why is, are, are so many supposedly people of the, um, uh, the class that has been empowered, why are so many people of the white class empowered really embracing this and being almost the greatest champions for this? And I know you've thought about it. You are much more astute than I am politically. Uh, and I, and I, 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 but I, this is my theory. If there wouldn't be people on their right, who they could feel like, hey, you guys don't get it, then I don't think they would wallow in that guilt. Just the idea to, oh, I'm doing penance and now I'm good. Virtue signaling means nothing unless there's other people who don't have that virtue, right? If everybody was was basically throwing in, it would be, what would you get from it? What you like about it is, you see, I've decided to change my life. Not like that MAGA guy. Not like that. Not like that Rittenhouse guy. I'm not that guy. And that can make you feel good, even though you keep on heaping upon yourself th- this guilt. But if there's no one who 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 you can't look to and say, "I w- what's wrong with that guy? Why isn't he doing penance?" I I, I would I think it would I think it would it would, it would exhaust itself. I don't know. What do you think? I think that's certainly a large part of it, but I think there's also an element here. Virtue signaling is important. And when we, when I use the word, the expression virtue signaling, I don't just mean it's for 
public consumption. I believe it's for yourself. You need to feel virtuous, right? And you feel virtuous by rejecting what you think are the norms of American thinking. You feel virtuous by proclaiming loudly for all to hear the collective guilt of the American people. That makes people feel virtuous. Um, I, I don't understand why there aren't more edifying ways to feel virtuous. Like, I don't know, being nice to people. Uh, I don't know why the virtue signaling has to be to tear down what are, you know, the, uh, the or even to deny the goodness of America and what America's produced. I don't know why that is, a, why that makes them feel so good. I think it makes them feel sophisticated that they're rejecting, you know, the, uh, the message that was given to the common man and how they've found the truth and they feel benighted because of it, you know, and, uh, but, uh, but, you know, they, this week they removed the statue of Thomas Jefferson from the city council chambers in, the, in New York City that had stood there for over 150 years. That's insane. And by the way, when they started tearing down Confederate statues, which was probably a good idea, uh, there were those on the right who were opposed to it. And they said, look, today they're going to come for Robert E. Lee. And the next day they're going to come for George Washington. And they were right. And as crazy as those right-wingers were to defend Confederate statues, the the, uh, the the future that they mapped out has certainly you know, unfolded quite precipitously. And to take Thomas Jefferson out of city council is nuts. It's completely nuts. Yes. Well, again, you know, I, I think that uh, having, I, I mean, I, one of the things that I, I read through, not cover to cover, was, was Jefferson's collected writings. That's in the um, Library of America. It's a very nice compact edition of that. And there, there were in many ways, like the deists of his time and the, the anti-Semitism that you can see there, he was very far from being a saint. He was, he did have this incredible moments of inspiration in writing the Declaration uh, of Independence. And, and I think that he managed as a president pretty well uh, to uh, deal with that balance of power that, that he was part of the architect of creating. Um, in terms of I see statues, you go to I never imagined that people on pedestals meant they were perfect. All right? It meant they had done some extraordinarily good things. I never assumed anybody was perfect. Right, right. Well, well, and again, the, the idea is we go with the standard of the people of that time. There were certain things that were Jefferson's high moments. The other part, he was just like everybody else. You know, there are very few saints, you know, Lincoln perhaps is probably the 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 one that could most stand the test uh, and be considered a saint even when he was i, I would argue i would say the statue of roberto clemente outside of three river stadium and uh you know i don't i shouldn't say that three rivers anymore but you know this the baseball stadium fort field or not fort field you know you know <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Clemente was a person who was Roberto Clemente statue was he Clemente was a, dies a martyr to to charity. Statue of uh, Roberto Clemente in Pittsburgh, I would say, is certainly purer than even Abraham Lincoln. But all right, I'll take Abraham Lincoln. All right, but I'm saying just in terms of the fact that you know, um, uh, e even the parts of him that were practicing real politic and trying to get things done. It's hard to find, even when he says, "Let's let's maybe we should go to Africa." These were just uh, ideas that he had, and I think that uh, you know, Lincoln probably is one of the few. I mean, there's still a statue to Khmelnytsky in Kiev. Well, look, they're all bumped on there on his horse, you know. Yeah, you know, there are statues. You know, not far from here, there's the uh, um, 
the the Bud Cost the Bud. <laughs> I'm gonna have to edit this. The Lou Costello statue. Oh, yeah. it's somewhere <laughs> it's in Patterson, I think. You know, got the Lou Costello statue. I mean, there are statues to to a whole series of people, and again, it really represents in many ways. Look, the person who is passed on, it means nothing to. It's obviously just a way uh, to to feel like as 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 the Chazal, the Torah understood that this is something that can somehow generate in a real concrete way. I, I thought the funniest statue in America was the uh, the statue to Rocky Balboa in Philadelphia. Right, like to a, to a, a character that really was a, a movie creation. Yes, right. I thought that was interesting. Yes, especially if you contrast that to the real sullen, ugly personality of Sylvester Stallone I'm saying you know I mean Sylvester Stallone would like you to think that he was always this lovable mug uh, and I think that's part of it um look you know you have you have the incredible Avodazara in front of the uh uh in front of the Bulls uh stadium the Bulls arena uh I'm, of Michael Jordan in, in right the, um Bulls, yeah. and, right and I think there are many people who will uh, who will go to that place and tell their grandchildren, I remember when I saw that, uh, you know, the way he flew and things like that. Um, and yet we know Jordan as, you know, as the... Uh, Scotty Pippen will tell you. Yes, that Jordan, you know, was was in many ways a, a, a very ugly person in terms of his, the way he treated other people and his attitudes towards things. Um, and he, his belief in, in, in himself, Uber Alice, those are things which you don't necessarily want to extol. So I, I, what I would say is, is that statues are, are, are a remnant really of, of the Avodazara mindset, that the only way we can somehow make something real to us is by contemplating it and imbibing it and thinking about it. Um, anyway, the bottom line is, after all of this, is that Thanksgiving, as you began, is a safe space. And it's wonderful. And it reminds us that we need more of that in our lives. And it's wonderful the family gives together. And by the way, giving thanks is a pretty good idea. And, and certainly for our kids to learn how to say thank you and be grateful for the time in which they're living, the, the bounty of our land, the freedoms that we enjoy, and for the great gift of being an American. It's really wonderful that we should just pause and say thank you once in a while. Yes, and uh, on that very maudlin notice, the Lou Costello statue. Oh, yeah. it's somewhere <laughs> it's in Patterson, I think. You know, got the Lou Costello statue. I mean, there are statues to to a whole series of people, and again, it really represents in many ways. Look, the person who is passed on, it means nothing to. It's obviously just a way uh, to to feel like as 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 the Chazal, the Torah understood that this is something that can somehow generate. In a real concrete way, I thought the funniest statue in America was the uh, the statue to Rocky Balboa in Philadelphia. Right, like to a, to a, a character that really was a, a movie creation. Yes, right. I thought that was interesting. Yes, especially if you contrast that to the real sullen, ugly personality of Sylvester Stallone. I'm saying, you know, I mean, Sylvester Stallone would like you to think that he was always this lovable mug, uh, and I think that's part of it. Um, Look, you know, you have you have the incredible Avodazara in front of the uh, uh, in front of the Bulls uh, stadium, the Bulls arena, uh, I'm, of Michael Jordan, in, in right? The, um, Bulls, yeah. Right, and I think there are many people who will 
who will go to that place and tell their grandchildren, I remember when I saw that, that you know, the way he flew and things like that. Um, and yet we know Jordan as, you know, as the... Uh, Scotty Pippen will tell you. Yes, that Jordan, you know, was was in many ways a, a, a very ugly person in terms of his, the way he treated other people and his attitudes towards things. Um, and he his belief in, in, in himself, Uber Alice, those are things which you don't necessarily want to extol. So I, I, what I would say is, is that statues are, are, are a remnant really of, of the Avodazar mindset, that the only way we can somehow make something real to us is by contemplating it and imbibing it and thinking about it. Uh, anyway, the bottom line is, after all of this, is that Thanksgiving, as you began, is a safe space. And it's wonderful. And it reminds us that we need more of that in our lives. And it's wonderful the family gets together. And by the way, giving thanks is a pretty good idea. And, and certainly for our kids to learn how to say thank you and be grateful for the time in which they're living, the, the bounty of our land, the freedoms that we enjoy, and for the great gift of being an American. It's really wonderful that we should just pause and say thank you once in a while. Yes, and uh, on that very maudlin note, so I am that every Wednesday I am able to once again uh, drink from the great fountain of wisdom and stare at the magnificent visage, <laughs> a statue in making. Yes, <laughs> there's people when they when they try to when they come to make your statue, I will say I've got plenty of shots over here in the. Uh, <laughs> Take care, uh, Be well. Talk to you. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.